bread and wine. Our life of faith is done in realms of clearer light. We may behold you as you are with full and endless sight. The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which was read earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is the Feast of St. Thomas, which is why we had the hymn that we had today and the Gospel lesson. Today is the day of it because traditionally it is believed that this is the day that, um, Saint Th- that Thomas was martyred, the day that he died for the faith. But that evening in the upper room, imagine what it must have been like for those disciples. For over three years, they had walked around with Jesus, heard his teachings, heard his preachings, saw him do incredible miracles. They were convinced that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What exactly he meant by being the Christ, or I should say what they thought he meant, it's kind of a mystery. There are many that believe that they were were expecting a military rule. That he was going to be the one that overthrows Pilate, overthrows the Roman emperor, and restores Israel to the, the glory it once had. Whatever they expected... It was definitely not what would be reality. Jesus on multiple occasions told told his disciples that he was going to be crucified. That he was going to die. And none of them believed him. Peter even said, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. They never listened. And when it came to that day of Palm Sunday, they saw him riding into Jerusalem on that donkey. They probably imagined that, yes, finally, he's going to do it. He's going to take down those Roman oppressors. He's going to give us the kingdom we want. And he doesn't do that. Which, by the way, I was actually listening to an interesting podcast or an interesting sermon. The reason why in the Gospel of Luke, when it talks about the birth of Jesus, it mentions that they went to Bethlehem because of the census. Which is telling you that Jesus was obedient to the government. That he did not come to overthrow Caesar. He came to bring a very different kingdom. But the disciples did not believe it. Nobody believed that. Nobody understood that. So later that week, after Palm Sunday, it was a surprise to them when they're at the Last Supper 
Jesus is saying that one of them is going to betray him. And then when they say that, then when Peter says, Lord, even if all fall away, I will never depart you. I'll never leave you. Jesus tells him, you will deny me three times. And then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is depicted on that painting right there, or that stained glass window. Jesus went there and he prayed. And they saw what Jesus said would happen coming true. Their friend, Judas, leading a battalion of soldiers to arrest Jesus like, a, like the worst of criminals. And Jesus doesn't even try to fight back. When his disciples try to fight back, he tells them to stop. He lets himself be arrested. He lets himself be led away. And he stands before Pilate. And he's silent. He stands before the Sanhedrin. Before Caiaphas, the high priest. He is silent. Doesn't defend himself. Meanwhile, out in the courtyard... Peter is doing exactly what he said he would never do. He denies Jesus, and he doesn't deny them, deny he knows Jesus to, you know, a high-ranking Roman official. It's to a servant girl who had absolutely no power over him. That servant girl could have gone and told everybody that Peter was a disciple, and nobody would have listened to her because she was a servant girl. That's the way the culture was at that time. But Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And Jesus was led away. He was tortured, beaten, beaten to the point that probably he was barely recognizable by anyone. He was led down the streets of Jerusalem. I mean, realistically, actually, if you look at it, it actually wasn't that far from the palace to where he was crucified. To give you a perspective, it'd be kind of like, actually would be pretty comparative to walking from here to the cemetery. I mean, it's a little bit of a walk, but not too terrible. And they actually probably would have had, actually, they would have had even better than gravel roads because they were in they were in the city. Jerusalem was actually pretty well advanced by this time because they were in the Roman Empire. But they were led away. He was led up that. And he could not carry the cross all the way. That wooden beam that he carried across his back that was probably about 125 pounds. And because of the beating he received, he couldn't carry it. And he was being mocked, spat upon, humiliated. He had nothing on to, to maximize the humiliation. And that very wood, that wooden beam that he was carrying is the same wooden beam that he would be nailed to. 
Which, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but that's kind of one of the reasons for a tree during Christmas. Is that that tree is to point you to that tree. On old trees, they used to have those little fruit, they used to have fruit on them. Now we just have the little red bulbs. That's to remind you of the blood of Jesus. And all those little lights, they used to have candles. Now we don't because it's a fire hazard. But those lights, I'd remind you that the light of the world hung on that cross, on that tree. Christmas is all about pointing you forward to that event, to the crucifixion. And actually, it's pretty fitting that we do actually have a crucifix right next to the Christmas tree. It's actually kind of, if you look, you can see them both in the same point in the same frame of mind. But he, went, he, he died on that cross. This is what would be going through the minds of those apostles when they were in that upper room. They heard the story of the women that Jesus, they had seen Jesus risen, but they didn't believe. For all they, they, they thought, oh, she's just... She's just hysterical. She's just, just being a crazy old woman. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's seeing things. She's emotional. It, there's no way this really happened. Jesus shows up in the middle of the room in front of all the other disciples. And Thomas gets, he gets to hear this. And he still doesn't believe. He challenges them by saying, did any of you touch him? He could have been a ghost. I think you guys are just pulling my leg. The Greek, as I've, you probably heard me mention, you might have heard me mention this before, but the Greek in this passage shows Thomas is very irritated with the other disciples. Because in the English it says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. The Greek, it actually says more literally, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and thrust my finger into the mark of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will never, ever believe. This is why Thomas is not actually doubting Thomas. He's unbelieving Thomas. And the word thrust, as a show, tells you how angry Thomas is at the other disciples. How dare you joke about what he did, that he's alive. And he might even in part be angry that Jesus died in the first place. And that thrusting is showing his anger. So as dark as it got, and as hopeless as Thomas was, all it took was him being in that same room with all that had happened and right in front of his eyes, he saw Jesus. And it's interesting, if you, know, if you pay attention to the text, it never actually says 
that Thomas touched Jesus. He might have, he might not have. We know that by the moment that Jesus spoke, Thomas believed. He heard, he saw, and he heard, and he believed that Jesus was risen. And all of a sudden, all of the grief, all of the, the sadness that he had, all the anger disappeared, and it turned into a hope beyond measure. Because the Jesus who was dead is alive right in front of his face. And his words say it all. He says, my Lord and my God. He is calling Jesus his Lord and his God. And Thomas's faith would be so bold that no matter how bad it got in the rest of his life, he followed Jesus all the way to his death where Thomas died by receiving a spear in the side, the very place that he demanded to touch of Jesus. Now I bring up all that because the reality is, in case you had not heard, today is the first day of winter. That means that it is literally the darkest day of the year. And this afternoon, I went to the hospital in Avera to visit Mickey Kraft, who may or may not be in his last hours. Very, very good chance that he is. I went there, and I visited with his daughter, and, and so I talked with her, and I prayed and read some scripture. After I left, I was walking through the ICU, and I saw the ICU was just full of people. And actually, when I was getting in there, when I first got there, I saw um, a, an individual who you could see the effects of cancer raging against their body. As I was leaving, I saw a family coming out of a room, weeping. You could tell that they just received the worst of news. I saw another family, same reaction, in another room. The parking, the parking ramp at Avera was the fullest I think I've seen it since I've been here. And I've definitely been there a good number of times. The ICU was fullest I've seen since I've been, been here, and I've been there, visited there a number of times. Last Friday, as some of you know, for Zion, Fritz Rayburn passed away. Right now, as we speak, I know of the fact that uh, Mary Boki, a member of St. Peter, said probably in her last weeks, I know she's on hospice. That is the darkness and the struggle of this world. Which is one of the reasons why we began this service with everything dark. The first day of winter, when granted it's actually warmer than a couple days ago, but it's supposed to, realistically we know that more cold days are coming, and I don't know about you, but I have a good idea that there might be some more snow coming. 
So we started the service with everything kind of darkened. And we started with the service of light. A service is, again, you've probably heard me say this, but that service of light dates back to the earliest days of Christianity. The way the church used to gather was they would gather in darkness. They'd gather in the catacombs. And they'd gather either in the early hours of the morning or the late hours of the night when it was pitch black. And so everyone would gather. They had to gather in darkness because they were afraid of persecution. They were afraid of being put to death. And all of those people that they loved and held dear were dying because they were Christians. And so they'd gather in, this, in the church. And actually at St. Peter you've seen where I've done the full liturgical version of this. I just couldn't do that because we had an Advent wreath and I'm not going to try to carry that. But the way it would start is I would start in the very back and I would say, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. You'd respond and they'd come into the middle. Again, I would say, Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening. Then I come a little bit farther up. Let your light scatter the darkness. And then I would turn and face you and lift the candle as high as possible and say, Joyous light of glory. Those are the exact, these are the words that they said all the way back in the first century of the church. These are words, take, some of it taken from the Gospel of John. They would come in and they memorized, they knew this by heart. So they didn't have a hymnal, they had nothing. They came in, the only thing they saw was that single candle of light. While everything was black, to remind them, that Christ, who is the light of the world, no darkness can overcome him. No death, no sickness, no evil, no suffering of any kind can overcome our Savior. In fact, that's why, how do we end all of our Christmas Eve services? With a, a candlelight service. Same reason that no matter how horrible it is, the risen Jesus was there for Thomas, but he's also there for you. He is actually and physically risen in history. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered the devil. And that's not just some good, you know, platitude this is not like me telling you about Santa Claus coming to town. Sorry, Santa, well, he's, Santa Claus one time did exist, but Jesus really lived in history. He lives in history. You could go to the places where he was at. Bethlehem. Which, you, you know, you kids are going to be doing a little bit of practice afterwards. And you'll be doing those services. That Bethlehem you're talking about, it is a real town. You could go there tonight if you wanted to. 
probably can't afford to, but hypothetically, you could go there tonight. The place where Jesus was buried, you can also go there. And guess what? You're not going to find a body. That is the joyous light of glory. Throughout this Advent season, we have focused on the solas of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura. Sola Christus. Sola Gratias. And today, Sola Fide. So Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. Thomas was, not the, was one that did not have faith, but in the end, he did. And as it says in this scripture, and by the way, faith is not just believing that God exists. James writes that if you, be, you believe that God exists, good. So do the demons, and they shudder. Believing that God exists will not save you. In fact, just believing that God exists might send terror down your spine. Because we are poor, miserable sinners. Deserving of the darkness that is around us. The darkness that happens is something we deserve. But... Believing in God. There's a difference between believing that God exists and believing in him. To give example, there's a difference between believing that your friend is innocent of a crime and believing in your friend. That's trust. We are called to believe in God. To believe in Christ. Faith in Christ. Which is given to you as a gift. To grasp the grace of God. To receive forgiveness. Is all that is necessary for salvation. As it says at the end of John. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. Now I know I'm kind of mixing John and James a little bit there. But believing in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, that alone, none of your works, because your works are never going to come close to enough. Faith alone brings light to a darkened, miserable world. As I told, this, I told the story a few weeks ago, think of that story of those soldiers in World War I who laid down their arms, stopped fighting to celebrate Christmas. Even in this darkened world, we have the light of Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, to suffer and die on the cross. He is risen for you.
He is the light of the world. No darkness shall ever overcome it. To him be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we are going to sing a hymn that very wonderfully confesses that desire for Christ's return. And I don't know if you know this, if you look on your hymnal, you can turn to page 357. On the right side of the page, or, yeah, it's in the right page, you'll see what's the great O antiphons. O come, O come, Emmanuel, is a paraphrase of the great O antiphons that were traditionally read, read or sung every Sunday from December 17th to December 23rd all about the anticipation of Christ's return. So let's sing hymn 357. Mm -hmm. 